Good morning. Welcome to Stuttgart Harvest Church. We are in part number four of a four-part series, which means it's the last of this day. And so we're talking about getting past our past. As I grew up, my parents had me at church a lot. And so I had this list of things that I knew. This is what Christians do. And I would try to do those things. And then I had another list. These are things that Christians do not do. And so I tried to avoid those things. And I did not want to do those things. So after years and years of that, as people would look at my life, then my life was kind of matching up. You do these things. Do not do these things. And they could look at me and compare it to that list and say, oh, you know what? He's, yeah, he mess, may mess up a little bit, but overall he's a good guy. And he's really, he must be a Christian because I can tell by the way he's living. The problem was, though, I was not a believer at that time. And so I did not have, uh, I had the trappings of being a believer, but I was not a believer. So on the outside, cosmetically, maybe I looked like a believer, but on the inside, I wasn't. I had some friends who were just flat out running away from God and openly running from Him. And so I may have looked different than my friends, but guess what? On the inside, it was the very same. As God looked at me, it was the same. The result was the same. I was still empty, even though on the outside I was doing some things that I was supposed to, and I was not doing some things that I was not supposed to. But the inside of my life, the result was still emptiness. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe there's some things for you, too, that kind of fall into that category of, of you know, maybe you ha have been pretty good and you've tried to make good decisions and you've tried to do the right thing overall in your life. But then maybe, though, as God looks at the inside, maybe you've just been adhering to some do's and don'ts. And maybe really still on the inside, you have been in charge of your life. And you have been in charge. And you have been making the calls. And it has been your control that you've been following, right? And if that's the case, then the result is still the same. Whether you just appear to be pretty good and, or whether or not you've been openly running away from God, that result is still the same. We still have addictions and we still have habits that we can't beat and we still have uh, hang-ups and hurts. We still have these things because our lives are in our control and we're doing things our way. Donnie, kind of catch us up a little bit where we've been and kind of where we are today in the Word. Yeah, through this series, we've been going through this narrative of, of Moses and Joshua. So Moses was the guy that, that led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. You know, God parted the Red Sea. They walk across that, that bit there. And um, so after they get in out of Egypt, they kind of wander around for about 40 years in the wilderness, and a generation of people die off, and then a new leader raises up, and this is Joshua. Joshua's the new leader. So we pick up in Scripture today, right after Joshua becomes the new leader, and he's about to go into the land that God has promised them, and uh, we're going to look at what he does to prepare to go into that land. So we're going to start out in Joshua chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1 of that, that chapter. It says, Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, Scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there the night. 
So let's pause there just for a second. So God, um, Joshua sent two guys, obviously guys that he trusted that are godly men out to be spies, and they end up at the house of this prostitute, and they, and they stay the night. And when I, when I read this, this passage, I think, you know, when these guys get back and they're giving their debriefing, they're probably going to have some explaining to do. You know, where have you been? What have you been doing? You know, where did you stay? Um, but here, here's the deal, though. And, you know, a lot of Bible uh, scholars say, well, it was a strategic thing, um, a strategic uh, thing that they picked that house because it would be less noticeable, the guys going in and out of that particular house. So, but I don't know. Um, but here's the thing. Throughout the Bible, we have uh, descriptive texts, just texts describing um, historical events that happened in the Bible, like this text. And then we have prescriptive texts. And that's text telling us, that would be like the Great Commission, go, make, baptize, um, things like that. Telling us particular things to do right straight from the Bible. Not that we can't have application from the descriptive text. So just so you know, this is descriptive text. This is describing an event that happened. So if you try what these guys try, you'll probably have some explaining to do also. <laughs> A so, lot. Yeah. So um, they end up at this house, and what we do, we pick up here with um, the king found out that there were some spies in his city, and he sends his men to Rahab's house. And uh, the men tell Rahab, hey, we know there's some guys in your house. They're spies. Send them down. So Rahab actually hides them on the roof, but what she tells the, the guys, the king's men, is, hey, there were some guys here, but they left. Um, they left before the city gates closed for the night. See, this was a, a fortified city, Jericho, probably one of the most fortified cities of its time. But So at night, they had these big gates, and they would close them. So she says, hey, the guys left before the gates closed. She said, but if you hurry, you can probably catch them. So the king sends his men after uh, what they thought to be the two spies. So we pick up in verse 8, and this is um, Rahab talking to the spies. She says, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up, on the roof to talk with them. And she says, I know the Lord has given, this, given you this land. She told them, we are all afraid of you. Everyone in the, in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know that what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. And then she makes this statement right here. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of heavens above and earth below. She says, you know, I have faith in this God that I've not seen. I've not read anything about it. I've just heard about him. M much like us. You know, we've not seen these things, but we do have the Bible to read them. But, but Rahab had not seen them. She just heard about it. She said, I believe that this God is more supreme than anything else I've ever heard about. Any other these false gods that, that are worshipped here in my city. And then Rahab 
asked the spies, she said, hey, since I've helped you guys, um, when, Drew, when Jericho is conquered, would you spare my life and my family's life? And, and so they kind of make this little deal. Basically, if you hold up your end of the deal, help us get out of here. We'll, we'll make sure that you survive or that you're okay. So Harley, before they leave, before the spies leave, leave her house, um, they give her some, some very specific instructions, though. Yeah. So in verse 18, here's the conversation. They say, when we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. So he, they specifically gave her this red-colored rope, and they said, that's going to be the sign. They said, all of you and your family members, your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your relatives, they must be inside this house, and then they're going to be saved. They're going to be okay. They're going to make it. And it just gives us this picture, this little subtle picture, this scarlet rope, this red rope. They are going to be saved by this rope of red. Now, we know what that points toward because we have the New Testament. They didn't have it then. I, the, the spies probably wondered, why, I wonder why God's kind of telling us to use this red rope. I have no idea. I'm not sure what it's about. But we understand the significance of the color red. We can trace it all the way back to Genesis. We don't have time to do that this morning. But it is so significant. Here is why. Because that stream of red that's going to be hanging out of that window, flowing down towards the ground, is a picture of what one day is going to be coming when Jesus dies on the cross, and his scarlet blood is going to flow for you and for me and for the world. Why? Because that's what it takes, and that's what it was going to take to connect a separated creation, to connect that creation with the Creator. And God knew it was going to take that, and God gives us this little picture of what's coming one day. And we see that. They didn't have the luxury of that, but we see that. We see the significance of that scarlet rope that's going to be hanging out of the window because it points toward what is one day coming when Jesus' blood streams red for you and for me. What an amazing picture. And then it goes on to say in verse 19, now if your family, if they go out into the street and they are killed, well, it's not to be our fault. In other words, if they don't do their part, it's not going to be our fault if, if they end up dead. We're going to do our part. You have to do your part. But if anyone lays a hand on the people inside of this house, this house that has the red rope, the scarlet rope hanging down, we will accept all the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. In other words, he says, here, here, this is it. This is the deal we're making. This is what God has told us to do. So this is what we're saying. Here it is. You know, take it or you can leave it. But here it is. So she goes on to say, I accept your terms. In verse 21, I accept your terms. And she sent them on their way, leaving the, the scarlet rope hanging from the window. You know, I think Rahab was at the point where she, she took the, the faith that she had and she put it into action. She said, you know, I, I've, I've tried to live life my way, and, and it's been a mess pretty much. Um, you know, I think 
we all have done that probably in the past. To live life on our own terms. Now she says, I accept your terms and I put my faith in God. You know, faith is simply taking God at his word. Biblical faith says this. I believe that God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. And it's that faith that saved Rahab. Thousands of years later, over in the New Testament, Rahab's mentioned in a few places. And one of those places is in the book of Hebrews. And in chapter 11, there's just one verse that talks about her. And listen to what it says. It says, it was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city. By her faith. And you know, the same goes for you and I. The same goes for me and Harley. It's by faith, by faith in Christ. Not faith in our own abilities, not faith in doing things our own ways, but faith in Christ that saves us. And maybe you've tried to do things your own way and tried really hard, but because of it, now you have a past that you're trying to get past. And you know that if God has a standard and his standard is perfection, then you fall short because we all fall short of that. And maybe for the first time, you're realizing that. And maybe today, you can say, yes, I really do believe that Jesus died on the cross. And three days later, he really did rise from the dead. But you know what? Maybe you're thinking, okay, well, I still have some questions. There's some things I just, I I don't understand about the Bible. You know, there's some things that Jesus uh, says that I just don't get. But that's okay. You know, even his disciples sometimes, they didn't understand what he was saying. Peter would be like, John, what's he talking about? He's like, I don't know. But but our prayer is that you'll take a step of faith. And you'll make a decision to turn your will and your life over to Christ. And that you'll follow him. And Harley, it all starts with this step of faith. Well, that's our bottom line this morning. This morning, this all points to this one phrase, that big change, and I hope that's what you want in your life. That's what we want in ours. Big change starts with little faith. And that's what happened for Rahab. This woman who was rejected by her all society, no one would look at a career path of a prostitute and say, wow, that's probably a wise thing. That's a great path, good career, good choice. They're not going to say that shunned by all of society, looked down upon, used and abused and hurt and harmed. But yet she comes to God with a little bit of faith saying, you are who you say you are and you'll do what you say you will do. And I'm going to trust in that. I'm going to trust in you. And God begins to make an amazing, big, huge, enormous, gigantic change in her. Not just her, but future generations are changed because of what she chose. Wow. Big change starts from a little bit of faith. Let let me tell you how important this is. We're going to look at Matthew, the very beginning of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 5, in this New Testament, where the New Testament begins. It gives us this family tree. A lot of times in the Bible, when we come up with a family tree, we just don't pay attention to it because It's kind of boring, and who cares? Just a bunch of names and people. 
But this family tree is so significant. Look at it. We're going to start. It's in Matthew 5, verse 1 through 5. Listen to what it says. Salmon was the father of Boaz. I wish I had time to tell you today how important Boaz is in this family tree and why it's so important. But Boaz would not be in the family tree without his dad and without his mom. And who is his mom? Rahab. And you know what? They usually didn't mention the women in the family tree. And here in this verse, we have two women mentioned. We're only going to talk about about Rahab. Two are mentioned. One of those mentioned was a prostitute who had a little bit of faith in God, and God took it and made enormous change in her life. A prostitute. And it's so important to this family tree that God wanted you to know. And they did what... What normally was not done and included her name in this. Significant change in her life. And the Holy Spirit wanted you to know. So he put her name in this family tree. Which goes, this family tree follows it down to Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. King David. The most famous king of all, that Israel ever had. King David. That was his dad. That, I mean, that, that was his son, son of Jesse, which means it was Rahab's great-grandson. How significant is that? That she went from a prostitute to the great-grandmother of a king. And it happened because she had a little bit of faith and God made a great big change. But you know what? The family tree doesn't end there. That's where we're going to end it for now. But if you go read that, that family tree doesn't end there. That family tree is in there because it ends at Jesus. Now think of how significant it is that God thought it was so important that you know that in the family tree of Jesus is Rahab who once was a prostitute but showed a little faith in a great big God and that great big God made enormous change in her life. And God wanted you to know. By the way, in the family tree of Jesus, God's son, my chosen plan of salvation for all mankind, by the way, in his family tree is Rahab. She once was a prostitute, but I changed her life because she wanted me to. And I want you to know this morning, that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter what is happening, no matter what crud you have brought into your life, or no matter what mess someone else has thrust upon you that wasn't your fault, it doesn't matter. Whatever is there, you can take that to God and show Him a little bit of faith that says, God, I believe you are who you say you are, and you'll do what you say you'll do, and I'm giving you this mess. I can't do it anymore and God is going to do something big he's going to begin this process of changing you and could even change your future generations because of a decision that you make today so our bottom line says this that big change starts with little faith and our hope for you today is this, that you will make a decision that says I have tried to live this life my way 
I've tried to be good. I've tried to do the right thing. I have tried, but it has been me trying, and God, I can't do it anymore. So I give you this life. I try, just give it to you. I'm going to trust that you will take this. You'll take this life, and you can do something with it that I could not do. And here's how you can do that this morning. If you've never done that before, here's how. On the back of your connection card is the letter A. And if you circle that, here's what you're saying. We're saying, God, I admit to you that I can't do this. I've tried to live this life on my own. My decisions, my control, my way, and I've failed. I admit that I can't do it. I believe, God, that you really did die on the cross, that you threw me the rope, you know? Your, your blood streamed red down that cross and onto the ground. You shed your blood for me. I believe that you did that, and three days later you rose again. I believe that you did that for me, God. And so now I repent. And that's just a big fancy word that means this. I have been following myself so far in my life but I realize I can't do it anymore. And so I turn from me and my ways, and I turn completely, and I decide to follow God, follow Jesus instead. That's repenting, turning from me and my ways, and instead turning towards God. And this morning, if you're doing that for the very first time, genuinely, maybe you had the trappings of being... A believer. Maybe people looked at you and said, well, he's a good guy and he's trying really hard. And, and I believe if he dies, he's going to go to heaven because he tried really hard and he tried to live the right life. But when God looked at me in that state, God knew I was separated from him, even though I looked like maybe I was okay. And I had to do this for me. I had to realize, I had to admit, God, I've tried and I've failed. I can't do it. But I believe that you died on the cross for me and three days later you rose again. So I'm going to turn from myself and instead I'm going to follow you and turn to you. And if you're doing that for the very first time today, I just want to say this to you. Welcome home. And in fact, the Bible tells us that the angels throw a party every time one person comes to God. And they turn from themselves and they turn to Jesus every time. And if you're doing that right now, it's a matter of the heart. It doesn't matter what words you might use. But if in your heart you're believing, I can't do it, God. I admit that. And I believe that you died on the cross for me. And three days later you rose again. And I am turning from myself. And I'm going to follow you. If that is you, then the angels in heaven are throwing a party for you right now. We party in a different way here. It's called baptism. And when you give yourself to God, that's the biblically, that's what the Bible tells us is the next step. Because you can tell Donnie and I and Cole, you can tell us that you're following him by circling the letter A. But you know, God just kind of developed it this way. The way we tell the world that we're really following him is when we go get baptized. That's kind of our party, our coming out party saying, hey guys, this is real. It's the real deal. I'm really, for real, following him. Stargard Harvest Church, we baptize more adults than any teenagers more adults 
which is so rare, so unusual. But here's why. Because we have so many adults who are admitting and believing and repenting, turning to follow Jesus. And if that's you this morning, I would love it if you circled the letter B too. And maybe for you, maybe you have made that decision at another time earlier in your life. And you said, you know, I do. I did. I did admit and believe and I repented. And yeah, I am a follower. But if you've never been baptized, then you can circle that letter B too. And you can be baptized. You, it may, that's your time. That is the, the official next step according to God, after we begin to, to follow him. So, what do you say? What is the step you need to take today? My prayer is that you won't leave here wondering, that you won't leave here just hoping and thinking, well, maybe, maybe if I just live good enough or do it right. Because God said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And that's finally for me what I had to do. I had to admit, God, I can't do it anymore on my own. But I believe you already did it on the cross for me. And three days later, you rose again. And so I'm going to turn from myself and I'm going to follow you. And we hope you'll join us this morning. And that you'll admit and believe. And you'll turn around and follow him. Let's pray. God, Rahab declared to you with that little bit of faith of stories she had only heard about. She had never witnessed them personally. Oh, but she was getting ready to witness them in the future. But here's what she said, God. She said, Lord, you are God. You are the supreme God of the heavens and the earth below. And God, we have some folks this morning who are saying that for the first time, really believing that. And I am so excited that you were patient with us that you even saw fit to lead us here to this room today where we would be talking about this. So God, I pray for them. I'm so excited that we have people today who are following you for the first time, genuinely following you. And God, together, we can proclaim this, that you are the Lord God supreme, the God of the heavens and the God of the earth below. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I am so glad you have been here with us today. On the end of your rows, that's where the giving buckets are. And you can just simply pass those down the row. And that's where you put your connection cards, your pens, your giving envelopes. Even if you don't need the giving envelopes, you can place them in there and we'll recycle those. I am glad you've been here. If you have a seat next to you, that means I am quite sure that you have a person or two in your life that they are waiting on you to invite them to sit right beside you. And here's why that's exciting, because we start a brand new series starting next Sunday. So it's a great time to have that person sitting beside you. The start of a series makes it so easy. And we're going to be talking about some really cool things, the life of Elijah. You may not know anything about him, but we're going to, we're going to use his life, the story that God has given us about his life, and you are going to be encouraged, and you are going to be uh, built up. It's going to be a good time, and it will be an amazing time in the life of your friend if they're sitting beside you. So, Donnie, you kind of wrap us up, close us. We're going to be out on the porch. would love to say bye to you before you leave. Hey, guys, if you missed any of these messages in this four-part series, you can pick those up. They're a series. You can pick those up. They're a series. You can pick those up.